Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. That's a fantastic new intro that Cam created there. I love the well-timed slap of Will Smith onto Chris Rock with the music very much in coordination with the music. Great job. Looks good, and we, we played it well, and it looks like we did it the correct way here, I think, for the first time. So thank you for your help on that, Cam. You guys are watching the Propaganda Report, the front lines of the disinformation war, and DeSantis moves to fight the Great Reset Aligned Corporations in Florida. Again, you're watching the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. A quick reminder that there will be a disappearing patron party tomorrow, Friday, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The DPP is our monthly patron party where we talk some trash, have some drinks, and then cut loose a little, and then the video disappears afterwards. The live interactive chat is always very lively and sometimes includes a, a few dirty jokes here and there, which <laughs> is, I think, awesome. I don't mind going a little blue sometimes in the right context, so if you want to join us there and have some fun go to patreon.com slash propaganda report okay cam is joining me obviously here cam the co-host of the mad ones you had a show last night did you want to tell us what it was before we get started well it's it, it was kind of a funny one uh we talked to my friend kim again about stoicism and base and ancient cosmology all sorts of stuff but what was bad about it and i feel very sorry for this but um uh Jessica, my co-host, left about midway through the episode because we start we me and Kim are both people who really like true crime. And so we started talking about some true crime stuff and some murders. And we happened upon uh, or she mentioned Luca Magnata, who is one of those murderers that if you haven't heard the story, uh, you probably don't want to. And uh, there's some animal cruelty and stuff. And so uh, it was too much for Jessica to hear about the animal cruelty. And so she pieced herself out and we continued talking. <laughs> so a fun one. I can relate. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's some tough stuff to listen to. Whenever I see stories like that in the news, it's always like, you know, I, not not that cruelty against anybody is, is justified. But when you see it against animals who are often yeah. harmless, it's just you kind of uh, it's not it's not cool. You know, I know yeah. somebody who adopted a dog because the dog was just let on a chain. It was out in a chain, and a family had it, and this family had some sort of weird religious exemption where they could literally kill and eat dogs and other types of animals. And 
the dog was taken away. I don't know what the religion was. I'll have to get some more details on that. But the dog and a couple of other animals were taken away because they were mistreating them and leaving them outside. And the government of that county was trying to prevent them from being, you know, killed and, and eaten by or whatever they do with this weird religion. It's very strange. And yeah. my friend got this dog and it was just skin and bones. You could see its ribs. It, it was sad and it was very timid. But now it's a very it's a flourishing, happy dog that's happy and healthy that wasn't a bad situation. I'm an animal lover, as everybody who listens knows. I could talk about that all day. So I better <laughs> I better switch back to the news of the day today, which the top story of the day. Let me get my view on my document here, right? I have the, the Word document has this Different views. They they a read a read view, which is a lot more easy on the eyes than the, than the document when you're typing it in. So I'm gonna switch to that real quick. So the top story of the day for me anyway is that Florida Governor DeSantis is taking action, or he says he is, against Great Reset aligned ESG corporations in Florida. He announced at a press conference earlier today the actions that they would be taking in order to stop what some of these corporations are doing. Now, ESG, I've done a couple of shows on this back in June. I think maybe three or so shows, and ESG is probably in the title of all of them. I'll find them and link them in the show notes either tonight or tomorrow. But ESG is Environmental Social Governance Metrics that are like a social credit score for corporations. That This is the new model of governance that people like, there you go. This is the new model of governance. That's him looking at an ESG company and what they're trying to do to this country. But this is the model that Klaus Schwab, there's an image on screen, by the way. I forget sometimes we're on video. Cam put an image on screen of DeSantis looking very shocked, which is what I was referencing there. It's beautiful. But, yeah, it really is. So these corporations, it, this is how Klaus Schwab and his buddies want to control society after the Great Reset in that new world. And in that world, companies don't make decisions based on what would maximize their shareholder value and satisfy their customers' needs. That's not the top priority. Instead, they make decisions based on the guidance of these ESG metrics and what would maximize their ESG score. And the higher the ESG score, the more money they get from huge investors like BlackRock and Vanguard. And this ESG model rewards companies for being very woke or at least appearing to be very woke. They have to be transparent about it and be very public about their, about their actions. Essentially, what they're trying to do through these companies and through their employees is to implement progressive values on society by mm -hmm. filtering it through their companies and then through the community around them, their so-called stakeholders, as they call them. And the more they're able to do that and to publicly show that, the higher those ESG scores will be. It's the get woke, go broke idea, which in some cases, get woke, go broke is true. But in other cases, companies that appear to be getting woke and going broke are actually making more money because they're getting more to cover what they lost from BlackRock. You know, that company that buys up all yeah. the houses around and tries to rent them out to people. It's really just a, a controlling, globalist, horrible company. And other aspects of this public virtue signaling of ESG is what's called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which they try to implement throughout their work culture. It basically means stuff like everybody gets paid for a day off on Juneteenth, or they have to hire a specific number of minorities and put them on the board. It's They have to have anti-racism trainings. It might... Uh, sister had an anti-racism training for something she did the other day. I don't know if I'm even supposed to say that on here, but I did. And she let me read some of the stuff. They're trying to implement this stuff throughout all of these companies. And it's not working for all of them, but some of them it is. It's just a weaponization of the corporate world. And if you want to read about what type of actions and measures that these corporations are taking, what you can do is 
you can pick a company if you want to see if they are ESG aligned and you can just type in whatever the company is like Walmart uh, in quotes then put plus and then put sustainability report 2022 or 2021 in quotes and then their sustainability report will show up. You can also do this with companies like Nike, Apple, other companies that are aligned and you can read through those reports and you can compare them. They all say the same things. They all have the same measures and they're all very, very woke and this is the the thing that DeSantis is taking a step against today in the press conference that he had, because this basically represents the whole ESG thing, represents Klaus Schwab's great reset and putting the global community ahead of individual interest. So DeSantis here appears to be taking a stand against that. I'm going to play you the clip of what DeSantis said, and then we can talk about it briefly here. Here we go. Okay, so the clip of DeSantis is not working here, so I'm going to remove it real quick and add <laughs> Wait, let me again. See. Oh, let me see. Let me try because it it gave me a bu- uh, a play button. It's not playing. <clears throat> What's going on? All right. So the DeSantis clip isn't working. I don't know why. Today, oh, there we go. Uh, we are announcing that uh, we're going to take some action administratively, but we're going to work with Speaker Renner to make sure that we have statutory reforms uh, so that uh, we're putting the people of Florida uh, first. And we're going to do what's in their best interest, not whatever the delusions of some wealthy, woke CEO wants to do. So that means a number of things. One, we're going to prohibit the State Board of Administration fund managers, which is the State Board of Administration is the state of Florida's entity that manages the state of Florida's pension funds. So, you know, is over it's close to 200 billion it was probably 200 billion the market's gone down so it's um but it's a lot of money uh and so we want to make sure that they are not using political factors when investing the state's money we want them to invest the state's money for the best interests of the beneficiaries of those funds which is again the people that are retired cops and teachers and other other public employees Uh, We also are going to require SBA fund managers uh, to only consider maximizing the return on investment on behalf of Florida's retirees. I think that's what people want to see. They want to see a good pension system. Uh, We also are going to prohibit Wall Street banks, credit card companies, and money transmitters like PayPal from discriminating against customers for their religious, political, or social beliefs. They're using things like social credit scores to be able to marginalize people that they don't like. And we'll hear from uh, some folks that, that, that have experience uh, with that. But the thing about the politicization uh, of the economy in this way, it benefits the largest, most powerful corporations, and it disadvantages the small and medium-sized businesses. And so this is not something that is empowering kind of the little guy. You know, this is something in many respects that is crushing the little guy. And so we want to make sure that we're standing on the side uh, of, of average people. Okay, so that's the end of the clip there. And, you know, he's saying the right things. He That is, yeah. this is something that needs to be battled. Whether or not this trend of ESG will continue is debatable because what Klaus Schwab and his buddies in the Great Reset, what they're attempting to do is is essentially coerce these corporations and humans into acting against their own self-interest. And instead of serving that interest of, of them and their family and their their wallet and putting food on the table, they're trying to get people to serve the interest of the global community first. So anytime you're trying to get people to just act in mass and you know indefinitely against 
normal human instincts, it's a very difficult thing to do. Not that they can't do it, but that is what they're attempting to do. And it doesn't work for all these companies. As I said, some companies it has worked for, but a lot of companies it has not worked for. So whether we're going to actually need to implement legislation to fight this is not yet clear. There are some companies that are moving forward with it, and we see them in the news more because they're the ones that get highlighted. So it seems like it's being more effective than it might actually be. But if it is effective, if more companies do adopt it, if more companies do uh, because they're afraid, because here's what happens. If you do not, at least in the Klaus Schwab model, and this is from Klaus Schwab's book. I've read all of his books on the fourth industrial revolution, on the Great Reset, on the, the COVID-19, and it's all about this. It's all about ESG. It's all about controlling the world through the global corporations because the global corporations are not bound by the uh, laws of any one constitution in any country. They span the globe, and they can undermine constitutions because they're technically not government. So that's how they try and, and control the world. And the way that they do this is they basically bribe these companies into joining them and aligning with them. And then if they do not continue to do what they're supposed to do, then they will get dropped by these you know, big investors like BlackRock and Vanguard. And not only that, they will then be subject to a pressure and smear campaign by the online digital masses and by the news media, which Klaus talks about. Klaus, he literally says how it's going to be really hard for companies to resist it because of what would happen if they do. So they, they're like a mob boss. Are you going to accept our ESG or are you going to get a social media mob to come after you? And, and that's kind of what they do. And we see this all the time. And this, is, this results in commercials like the Gillette commercial, the toxic masculinity, masculinity, stuff like that. It results in people, the businesses instantly pulling out of Ukraine or pulling out of Russia because of the Ukraine war. I even played a clip from Davos where there's one of the guys who is laughing saying, I mean, you saw all these companies pull out of Russia. I mean, that just shows you how powerful ESG is. And he's just laughing at the fact that they did it and the fact that they were coerced into doing it because of this social credit score they're trying to implement. So the fact that DeSantis is making a public statement about standing up against it, that will need to be done if it continues. Of course, there is going to be the worry about how much power that does extend to the state and how much that could, what are the uh, consequences of that power and if it were to extend broadly to the federal government. But what I think he's really doing here, honestly, is I think that this is going to be a major topic during the 2024 Republican primaries for president because Mike Pence is also on this subject. DeSantis isn't the only one. DeSantis is going to be the you know, the more prominent one in this case. But I think we're going to see this be something that is a deciding factor in who, in the, well, not maybe not a deciding factor. Honestly, I think Trump is going to get picked if he does run, which he probably will. But I think this will be a subject of conversation. And I think he is positioning himself to be a leader in that conversation by saying, look what I did to fight this globalist takeover in my home state by standing up for the individual, the small town companies by fighting ESG. Well, I mean, in, in, DeSantis has, like, I, I, I honestly don't want him to leave Florida because, you know, we did have it a lot freer than a lot of other places a lot sooner. I mean, obviously, um, the woman out of what is it, North or South Dakota didn't go along with everything and she's the best, she was the best on it. What's her name? Gray's Anatomy, the most iconic binge worthy drama, is back. 
along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're talking about Christy Nome? Is that who yeah. that is? Yeah. Yeah. She, she did the, the best job overall when it came to the COVID stuff. But, you know, having him in Florida and being able to relatively quickly jump away from this stuff and not see people in masks, except for those people that you know are crazy at this point, um, has been nice. And so I don't, I don't really want him to leave Florida, at least not until he uh, decides to um, actually sign a permitless carry law into effect and gets them to do that. That's what I need to stay in Florida. I need yeah. permitless carry. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that I hate the idea that Pence is doing it because it's like Pence is what would happen if you um, turned a new balance shoe into a human being. Like that's what Pence is. He's, he's hardly um, an interesting human. Um, but I, 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 lo- I do like some of the things that he says, and I really love that he bags on corporations. That's not typically the run of the mill and on the right. Uh, at least it hasn't been over the past 20, 30 years because big business was their thing. So seeing him bag on these bad corporations and calling it the corporate media rather than the mainstream media, I, I like a lot of this stuff. Um, but did I ever tell you about the um, two things I wanted to mention? <laughs> One, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the story in a second, but um, I do a lot of reading, Bible reading and thinking about the Bible. And in Latin, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of the image of God and how men are made in the image of God. Yeah, um, I watch Westworld. Right. Um, but in Latin, the term for that is imago Dei. And so Dei, D-E-I, is, it means God. Diversity, right? equity, and inclusion. Right. And so you have like, you have like, not that long ago, we, we talked about some, I think it was a software company doing something shady, uh, that was called Babel. And we have the DEI, which is, is a Latin word meaning God. And I'm looking at it and I, I, I think about this diversity and what's the E stand for equity, equity and inclusion. Which Nobody really knows what that means, but right. Well, I mean, and it's, it's something, ah, God. Um, but when I see this, it's, it's disturbing on multiple levels. One, because when I was trying to get a job several months ago, that meant 
that they asked me all about my social media presence, about what I yeah. did, podcast, all of that. And they watched it. I, I ended up, they're, they're good people, and they, they had my back if I say something stupid enough to get canceled. Uh, but the fact that they told me they were going to be creeping on my Twitter to see if I'm a thought criminal is scary. And I didn't want to, and they're not like this, but there are a lot of companies where you're like mandatory, it's mandatory activism. And right. that's not, no, and that's what ESG is. It's mandatory activism. That's a great way to put it. I know somebody who applied for a job at a really good advertising company that was owned by Boston, uh, the Boston Consulting Group, or something like that. One of that that big company. I think that's the name of it. It's it's like a huge major company. And this person got offered a job and initially turned it down because it. You know, it wasn't what it wasn't enough for what they were doing. It wasn't more than they were already earning. And when the, when they walked away, the company came back to them and said, "Wait a minute, was that what was the problem? You didn't like that offer?" And so they said, "Well, I'm going to need this amount if I'm going to work here because it, it to, for it to be worth my while." And ultimately, throughout after back and forth, mind you, this person was ready to walk away and, and did walk away at first. They ended up offering them, I think it was twelve thousand more dollars than than the initial offer. A senior title, they they upgraded the title that they offered them, and, and doing it, they got the like the head of that this particular company, somebody who's well known in that particular industry, involved to offer to get this going, to make sure that they get this person. This was who they wanted. They made that clear, and after they were like, okay, great, let's move forward. They then sent a third party company to do a background check. It was not the typical background check. It was like a social media scavenge background check. And then the question came up of, okay, go ahead and send us your vaccination stuff. This person didn't go to this company. This, co this company came to them through a recruiter. So they didn't know anything about vaccines. Vaccines had never been mentioned in any of the interviews. And what happened when they discovered that they were not vaccinated, they took the offer away. So they bent over backwards to get this person to work with them. And then once they found out they weren't vaccinated, took the offer away. And so the first thing I did when I heard that was look up to see what this company's ESG stuff was, if they were ESG aligned. And they were absolutely ESG aligned, and they were like the top, like, number one. They were, at the very, they were one of the best at being ESG aligned. And that made it very clear. That's why this happened. Yeah. I, those people don't care about this. They don't care about the vaccination stuff. They're doing it because they're required to because they have branded themselves as an ESG-aligned company, and it was just so interesting to me. They would move worlds and move mountains, bring in a head guy who, you know, they don't go talk to the head guy. If, if it were the president, you call him the big guy like Hunter does, but bring this person in to help get make sure they hire this person only to rescind the offer when they find out the person wasn't vaccinated. And the job was 100% remote. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, did I tell you about um, the job I applied for that was a company that uh, helps you hire and really focuses on DEI and ESG stuff? Did I tell you about that? No. So you help? they help you focus on that? So so when, when uh, a couple months ago, um, I was trying to make a little bit more money at the job that I, I'm at right now. And, uh, I, some recruiter sent this company to me, uh, who I could not tell you the name of now. Um, but they sent this company to me to try to get me to work for them. And so I did like two or three, um, 
what's the word? Uh, interviews with them. And they were the most stressful interviews I've ever been in, in my life. Like, it's like this guy didn't know how to interview anyone. Um, but I, I knew from the start that I wanted them to offer me enough money so I could get a bump at the job that I'm at now. But they came to me and I was like, let me just try to use this situation. And I looked on their website and they are a company that helps you with your HR needs. So like hospitals or whatever would use them in their hiring process. And they had special tools that emphasize DEI and all of these ESG things, right? And so when I saw that, I went, yeah, there's no way I'm working here. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that whatsoever, but I still stuck to the interview because I wanted to get the offer. The offer was the only thing that mattered. So when they so asked me if along, I was, yeah, yeah it, when they asked me if I was vaccinated or would be vaccinated at first, I was like, no, um, I, I haven't been, and I'm not really keen on it because I've had COVID. So I don't know what it would give to me or how it would help at all. You weren't and, like as a pregnant man, I want to wait until <laughs> I give birth before I get the vaccination, but I'm eager yeah. to vaccinate myself and my baby. Yeah. I mean, Biden said that everyone over five should get a booster shot and anyone over 70 should get two. I think people should be vaccinated at the point of conception. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it should just be directly injected into my my man marbles so that my kids come out immune. Absolutely. Um, but uh, so I went through this whole thing and, and they were like, would you be willing to get uh, vaccinated? And I was like, yeah, I would. Totally. I'd do that. But I weathered all of this, knowing that I didn't want it. And this guy sucked. And like the job was going to be terrible. And I was going to have all of this responsibility that I didn't want. And I couldn't do my show anymore. And all like, it was just a bad thing. And so then he offered me and not to get too far into the weeds, but I gave him a, um, I gave them a range that I would accept. Right. And the range wasn't a super high range, but it was, it was okay. And they, that dude chose the lowest one. Like, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. It's like, you, you gotta be less trans, you got, you gotta be less transparent than that. At least do it up a thousand, you know, like pretend you care. Add yeah. $365 on top of that. I get one extra dollar a day, do something. Um, but I got the offer, was able to talk to the, my company and was able to get a pay bump. But the whole time I was sitting there and I, I, I was going, I am dancing with the devil. And I am screwing, I, I know that I'm kind of screwing them over, but they're an ESG DEI company. I don't give a crap. They deserve it. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> you know, while there are some of these companies that exist and they're pushing this, there's always that force that pushes back. And there's companies that arise that are the, we won't hire you if you are vaccinated type companies, which I personally, I'm of the opinion of who cares, we'll hire you if you're right for the job or if we want to work together, you can do whatever it is that you want. But it's good to know there is a, a counterforce there. And, and just to give you an idea of, of what ESG, the effect of what happens when you implement or, or you go full Great Reset ESG, yep. I'm going to show you this advertising campaign that was from the Army, the military. And I played this in the XR, I think, last week or earlier this week. But I want to show you the visuals, Cam, and I want people <laughs> who are watching to see the visuals of it because I only played the audio of it before. Mind you, the Army and the military across the board, they are having a hard time recruiting. Yeah. They have not had recruiting efforts go this badly since shortly after the Vietnam War. And the Army is having the hardest time. And this is one of the things that 
people on the military websites are talking about is the reason why, and, and I think that it obviously is the reason why. The Calling is the name of it. <laughs> this is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom, with such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women. I have to stop it there. A sorority girl, girl stereotype is a sorority <laughs> girl with two mothers. And, yes. and not to criticize that. Like, I don't care. But the in the video, for those who can't see it, who are only listening, the mom looks like a woman. The dad, or not the dad, the other mom. <laughs> it's unclear whether this is a female that has short hair and is just kind of stocky, or if it's a man who... Was born a man and then became a woman. That is unclear. I can't tell, honestly, watching this. Can you? I can't. And also, let me just add that this is such an infantilizing uh, ad because it's it's a cartoon. And it's, it's a cartoon. It's it's, emo yeah. it's 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 emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is this is bad. This is army advertising campaign directed at was it Gen Z? Is it Gen X? Which one? I can't remember the the younger generation. Gen Z. Gen Z is targeted at them, and the army. You know, they're trying to figure out why their recruiting levels are so low. I, I think that when you are putting this out there, I think you have your answer. I'll let it well, play out here. And 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 my only other thing is seeing these weapons of war that are used to destroy people and kill people. A lot of times innocent people who are just in the way is like in putting it into a cartoon format. That's not mm -hmm. GI Joe, but that's, it's not right. fiction. It's, it's something about that really turns my stomach. And I just want to say that we can continue with that. <laughs> but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength <laughs> and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling.
Oh, okay, so let me do that. So that, that's a real army ad, and that Task and Force, I think, is a website. They talk about what they think some of the problems are with the recruiting, and, and they point to that. And I believe they're absolutely correct on that. The military especially with their spokespeople. Not to say that people who are actually in the military have gone woke, not, but their spokespeople have gone woke. And there you go. With that, there's an image on the screen, proud to serve, and it has the the colors of the, was it the the pride Rainbow flag? Fl- yeah. yeah it, it's it the Marines. It's the yeah. Marines. We already knew they were gay. Why go this, why go out there this hard? <laughs> I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter to me what somebody's sexuality is going into the military, but with this ad, they're promoting the idea of it's like they're they're trying to drive it home to say, like I said, it's unclear if the the second mom or the first mom, I don't know which one it was in that video, was a transgender or was just a female who kind of looked mannish. It's unclear. I don't know. The fact that they're doing that is going to drive away the very people who are historically most likely to join the military. And trying to target that group of people, you're going to, yeah, you'll bring in a few. And I think that that was a real story. That's probably based on that woman they showed at the end. But I don't think you're going to really attract a lot of people to join the military from that group. Maybe you will, but it doesn't appear to right now. But that is an example of ESG stuff. That's the type of inclusive actions that a corporation, in this case it was the Army, is supposed to take in order to bump up that ESG score. And, you know, I personally think that that, ad and this whole this whole thing is designed to make America continue to kind of fall back from being a, a superpower, so to speak, to put the, the emphasis on the world community, take the emphasis away from the individual and the uniqueness of the individual, the whole aspect of LGBTQI or whatever, just it generalizes and assumes everybody's the same. It's insulting, I think. And, yeah. and I think they don't want people being individualistic. I think they don't want people seeing their own uniqueness and, and pursuing things for their family and those around them. They want them to sacrifice the well-being of themselves and those they love for the global community. And I think that's what this is all about. And ESG is a major part of that. And so is the manipulation of these corporations. Okay, I want to play a few clips before we go to the DMBXR for you because you have some expertise and some history in, in mimetics. You were one of the yeah. or, original people involved when the whole mean, mean stuff involved. You, you were telling me at a show a while back. And there was a panel discussion at this I can't remember what the conference was, but it was a it was a conference on disinformation. They have these conferences on dis- disinformation all the time right now, and they have the same people that they filter through the Council on Foreign Relations, the Chatham House, and Brookings, where they talk about what the problem is and what they need to do about it. And they specifically focused in this one conference here, which it's titled the conference is the Front Lines of Disinformation War. And these are the people who are on the front lines, and they're going to talk about what they're fighting, specifically memes. And I wanted to get your reaction to what this woman here says about memes. <laughs> I'm going to start with the introduction of who these people are first, because that's uh, it's always good to see where they're coming from. So that way we know who they're talking to and influencing. Here's a clip. Sit here. 70% of American Republican voters think that the 2020 presidential election was a fraud. of those people believe that top Democrats are actually involved in a child sex trafficking ring. In the world's most advanced democracy, people have... I have to stop it there. So we know that there was a child sex trafficking and pedophilia ring. We know that. 
We've yeah. seen the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. I've been talking about Jeffrey Epstein, the court documents and what was revealed since 2015. And it was not allowed. Nobody would ever talk about it. It was they pushed it down. They covered it up until they could try and turn it into a Trump scandal when Trump became president. Then they let it come out because they wanted to distance it from Clinton. OK, right. we know that that exists. And they continue, and these are the disinformation experts, they continue to act like that is not real. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, I just want to mention that there was also a Republican Republican flavor of the child sex ring and child sex trafficking of course. back in the, the, the 90s, the Haskins, late 80s, 90s. What, what's his name? Like Dennis, uh, he was like thir third in line to be president. In Congress. I Dennis what Hastert? Yes, yes, that guy. Um, but I mean, not even that. I'm talking about in uh, Franklin, the Franklin cover-up. I don't know if you know much about that one. Um, yep. But there was there were kids... Uh, it, it, Johnny, the story of Johnny Gosh, which was the first kid on this side of the milk carton, his mom thinks he was stolen and putting put into a tr sex trafficking ring. But part of that story is there's a guy named Paul Bonacci who was a part of it and talked about how he was in these parties at the, I don't know if they said at the white house, but he saw George HW Bush in there. And uh, a guy named a Republican named Larry King uh, was kind of at the center of all of this. And boys town was included in it. Like there's a lot like, this is not the first time there's been a conspiracy. Um, but the Franklin cover-up, I want to dig into that so deeply so more people will know that story. Um, but it's not just one side that's doing this. It's not just one side that's exhibited no, it's signs. It's, yeah, it. and that's that's a great point. It's not Republicans or Democrats. It's people who are, are in power and have this yeah. It's sick. I, I don't know what it is, but you know yeah. the whole Jimmy Seville or Savile, however you say yep. it. The, look into that story. He was literally known as a whisperer to the princes and was royalty and was knighted very close to the royal family. This and stuff Prince goes Andrew very high up. Knew Jeffrey Epstein. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So, yeah. I mean, but but that's what's funny is like Franklin Coverup will never get the answers that we want to that one, but it's just too coincidental that investigator, an investigator who went with his son to pick up evidence in his small plane, the plane just magically crashed on the way home. That Paul Bonacci and this other girl who uh, told people and told their story, told what happened to them, got thrown in jail for perjury without ever determining, because you can't prove a negative. It's not right. like at the end of this, they were like, this didn't exist at all. And we've proved it definitively. They just threw them in jail for perjury. Right, exactly. And, and here we have disinformation experts and the people right. involved in this panel, they're going to announce where they're from. They run companies and they are involved. They, are, they work with people who wrote the Senate report on disinformation, Russian disinformation, in 2016. Uh, the, these people, I mean, to me, this that nobody raised their hand and said, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, sir, what you're saying? There actually is these pedophile rings." The fact that nobody did that automatically kind of undermines their credibility. I want right. to read a couple comments before playing the rest of this clip. Uh, David said that he's he's not vaccinated, but his sons are. They're in the military and they had to vaccinate. Hope it never hurts them, but they had to make their own choices. And, and you know. I hope it never hurts him also. That's like, like I, I want the vaccine to work for people who take it. Absolutely, because people I know take it. Like, I, you know, I want it to be good for people. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. And, and I hope that it's, it's, I think it is, I think most people are, are okay. I do. But I also think it's an experiment that they're testing on people and they don't really know what's going to happen with everybody. And some people, unfortunately, it's happened in my family, have bad reactions to it. And what do you also say here? 
Uh, Awake Jake, talking about the military ad, said shattering stereotypes are actually being one. I completely agree. It, it seems like that's becoming the stereotype at this point, which is probably why the recruitment is down. And then we have David here saying that my youngest was threatened with federal prison if they disobeyed the order. Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. Well, I just, one of the things that I, I, did, I saw in the, the comments as well was uh, David asked, Boys Town, the school in Nebraska. My understanding was that it was more of a camp type situation. But yes, in Franklin, uh, the Franklin cover up was out of Franklin, Nebraska. So it was the Franklin Credit Union. Like there's a lot to it. Like it's, it's worth a deep dive that I, I could do another Red Pill episode on it. Maybe we should talk about that, Brad, about maybe me throwing in some of those in this feed instead of on my Mad Ones feed. We could definitely, we could definitely do that for sure. Because those are fun to do. They are. All right, I want to hear. Let's play the rest of this clip. We've got like I think like ten seconds into it, and I want to hear your reaction when they talk about the memes. Yep. He's going to introduce the panel here real quick. Lost the ability to tell truth from fantasy. Our information. Let me take that back, just so we hear all of that again. <laughs> so we hear this guy lying. I'm going to. Take I want to punch him. Bit. I do too. He's very punchable. Oh, put that person on the list. <laughs> As we sit here. 70% of American Republican voters think that the 2020 presidential election was a fraud. 30% of those people believe that top Democrats are actually involved in a child sex trafficking ring. In the world's most advanced democracy, people have lost the ability to tell truth from fantasy. Our information environment is rapidly approaching the tipping point that Authoritarian propagandists will have longed to, to create, which is where the majority of people believe that everything is possible and nothing is true. What's wrong with believing everything is possible? I'll go ahead and say that, but I'll let the clip continue. <laughs> Luckily for democracy, some motivated, brilliant people are pushing back by, among other things, analyzing the spreaders of hatred and propaganda, anticipating where they're likely to strike next, and identifying the disinformation before it can do any harm. That's really the front lines of the fight against disinformation, and three of the most skilled fighters are right here with us on this stage. Now, skilled now fighters. Just to make sure that you know who is who, uh, I'm Eric Schorenberg, the former CEO of Inc. and Fast Company. To my left is Joan Donovan, the research director of the Shorenstein Center at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, Anya. Okay, I want to stop that there. The Shorenstein Center at the Harvard Kennedy School. They work with a, a company called First Draft News, which I don't know if they're still active right now. But back in 2015, when the whole fake news term became popularized, and then Trump co-opted it and he started Such using it and, th and then they stopped using it well the organization that intentionally injected it into the public discourse that was funded by google that was funded by the shorenstein company that worked closely with the shorenstein company was this first draft news company and you can see in the google trend searches and cheryl atkinson writes about this in one of her books not stonewalled but the book she wrote after that cheryl atkinson does does really good work I can't remember the name of that book, though. But she writes about this, and I started looking into it after I read her book, and I was like, holy smokes, yeah. The, this, the term fake news was clearly intentionally injected into the discourse, and you can see it in the spikes in the searches, and it was done by this first draft, draft news company that works with the Shorenstein uh, Harvard University group. And so that, that's who we're dealing with here. So they do have that level of influence. I'll let him continue. 
Fur, co-founder of Kinzen, which is headquartered right here in Dublin, and Lyric Jane, founder of Logically, headquartered in London. So welcome to our panel. Okay, so these are these are not these are not these are not nobodies. They're douchebags, I think, personally, but that's <laughs> you can reserve your own judgment on that there. And I believe in the next clip here we get in this is a woman from the Shorstein Institute talking about the mimetic aspect of the disinformation war, which I, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on this game. Get this forward here a little bit. More. Conspiracy so of silence. Is coming out in September. It's on meme wars. And so you're probably wondering, what is a Harvard professor doing studying memes? And why would that matter? Cam, stop me at any point, because this is a long clip. I didn't chop it up. It's about three, four minutes. So stop me when you have something to say. But one of the things that I find most intriguing <laughs> about the changing nature of politics and, and tech is how universal memes have come to stand in for political communication. They can actually say a lot more than, you know, a 1,500-word blog in some instances. They can signal who's inside a group and who's outside a group. They can shame people. Uh, and most importantly, memes can mobilize. And so we, in the book, uh, which is co-written with Emily Dreyfus, who was a senior editor at Wired, and Brian Friedberg, who's been with me for the last five years doing this. You got something? No, I'm just, I mean, she's not, she's not wrong. I don't understand the no, mobilization bit. But, like, she's not wrong. It is, it is a shorthand. And it's yep. also something, like, she, she's, she's really right about the fact that it shares more information in a... That's why I'm, I'm always telling you and the audience that we need to learn how to talk about these things in humor. Because in a humorous way, they can share an idea that will get stuck in these people's minds and they'll have to look it up. They'll have to start yep. doing... Like, I can't tell you how many memes there are out there, <clears throat> excuse me, that will uh, take a current tragedy and twist it to to say something like well you know if you if you can't believe that this happened look at uh, at what all of these bad people did and they'll mention just you know just search um like the i mean some of them are obviously anti-semitic so i don't i won't mention those but like just search for you know operation northwoods yep that's operation like, northwoods is where they presented to president kennedy uh the idea of Blowing up a plane, taking down a plane, and then I think blaming it on Cuba so that they yep. could start the war. Yeah, right. And so, in the, it's it's a, it's effective because if you see that and you don't know what you're ta what they're talking about, suddenly you've looked up Operation Northwoods and you know something about the CIA that you never knew before. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I agree with her, but also, <laughs> no, what she's saying is right. I agree with the the way she's describing as well the impact, the communication aspect of memes because memes are they're Easily, they're like sound bites, except on, on you know digital sound bites that are typically visual, and it, it conveys emotional information, and, and it, yeah. can, it can be very tribal-like. We did a deep dive a couple of years ago on a document, a mimetic warfare document from the United States military, and I'm looking at a mimetic warfare document here. It, it from this is from NATO. 
It says it's time for mimetic warfare to embrace. It's time to embrace mimetic warfare. It's from 2017. This is, I think, different than the one that we actually did a deep dive on. I'll put it in the chats here on Rockfin. But this is something that they have been onto for a little while now. And I, this is. We think about World War Three. You know, can you imagine during yeah. World War Two where? You know, they have tanks and people on the front lines. That What's World War Three going to be like? It's going to be mimetic. It's yeah. just so different than what we might have anticipated that it well, might be. It, memes are a really great way um, to do these things. And, and like I said, the right do- – I mean, I didn't say this, but I'm about to. The right dominates the meme war, and the libertarians dominate even them when it when it comes to memes. But at the – that's – What's cool about it is propaganda doesn't seem to work in the meme space because every time you see like an establishment meme, people make fun of it and say, quote unquote, the left can't meme because they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to express things in less than 1500 words. Right. Which so, does it work on the left? I think it does because sometimes the memes on the right, they can be conveying information that might be a little bit propagandistic because it right, more effective memes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying you can tell who understands it very easily by looking at the memes. Definitely. So, pro- pro- so propaganda in their hands, I don't think works, and that's really. I mean, I don't. I don't like the far right propaganda either. But I'm just saying, I'm glad that it's so easy to suss out and go, oh well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and you move yeah. on. <laughs> David says, anybody thinking the Hut Syndicate? I'm not familiar with that. I don't know that? that either. Well, yes, well, yes, think- I was. Yes, yes. That was my first thought. But then my second thought wasn't Jabba the Hutt, but that how her head along with her her second chin are a perfect circle. And if you kicked it, it would roll very well. Oh, I see. It's a Star Wars reference there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll let the clip continue. She does say some other interesting stuff here. I'll take it back uh, a few seconds. Guys. And so we, in the book, uh, which is co-written with Emily Dreyfus, who was a senior editor at Wired, and Brian Friedberg, who's been with me for the last five years doing this research, we wanted to map everything meme wars from Occupy to the insurrection. And so it actually ends on Insurrection Day and understanding Stop the Steal, but it begins with Occupy Wall Street and understanding things that were... You know, you know where they stand when she brings up the insurrection. Just to well, throw that out, see, at least in my opinion, yeah. Did you see the the moment she chose to choose when the meme war started? It wasn't in 2016. Occupy it Wall wasn't Street. off Fortune Chan. It was off a leftist move, movement that they were proud of, and it ends with a right, quote unquote, tragedy, worst attack on America at the very end. So they're even in the way she's talking about it, and the way they she's forming this book is showing you good versus evil. That's what they do in this conversation. They talk about where it started and where it has you know, morphed to. Everything meme wars from Occupy to the insurrection. And so it actually ends on Insurrection Day and understanding Stop the Steal. But it begins <laughs> with Occupy Wall Street and understanding things that were relatively minor notes like end the fed and ron paul like these very particular american um uh libertarian politics that really seem to burst into the scene 
they've been trying to demonize libertarians for a long time, and they've done a good job of it, actually. They've co-opted, I think, some aspects of it, but just listen to what she has to say about all this. Uh, I was because just gonna say, of their use of technology. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, at least she recognizes, like what I said a few minutes ago, that the libertarians have done it best. Uh, yeah, That's all definitely. I'm saying. Right. That Anarchist. really seem to burst into the scene because of their use of technology. So people who were interested in this politician, Ron Paul, were also very interested in how the web worked. I have to stop that. People who are interested in this politician, Ron Paul, as though he's some unknown person. <laughs> this politician, who is this guy, Ron Paul, this politician guy? I don't know who he is, but let's see him. <laughs> they were avid posters on uh, anonymous message boards. They thought about memes. They thought about political message crafting online. Um, then things take a turn for the worse. Uh, uh, incredibly dark uh, hate speech, white supremacist, misogynist. So we go, this, this politician, Ron Paul, start, you know, the mimetic war, it starts there. And then racism, white nationalism. And so she goes from Ron Paul to all the bad stuff to try and connect those two together. All I have to say about these people, the, acad the academics and the media, is that I don't know if you remember this, but it's very vivid in my mind when they were talking about memes and about um, uh, 4chan doing something, and they literally said they didn't they didn't understand and i doubt she understood and i doubt she gets into the the nitty-gritty of what meme magic is and these different ideas that spawned on 4chan but uh one of these um reporters was talking about it and the first rhetorical question that she used before the segment was who is the hacker 4chan as if it was one dude <laughs> yeah, like QAnon is one person. Yeah, yeah, I totally trust you to to break apart what's going on here. So for those who are just listening, and I don't typically say stuff about appearance, but this woman looks like <laughs> Alex Jones if he overdosed on extra, uh, estrogen. I'm is, just is what she looks like. This is what me th like this. This woman is a picture of her is perfect for memes. It, it absolutely is. And in fact, all well, of me, the wor worst of the worst start to find each other online, build coalitions, and um, over the years really begin to subvert democracy, not by just attacking our important institutions, but by attacking journalism, by attacking activists, by attacking women online, trying to make it so that you fear violence, so you remain silent on the internet. And so... That's the work of the book, and then we do a lot of other work at Shorenstein related to media manipulation, disinformation campaigns, and everything horrible. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's how she ends it. Everything horrible. Okay. So, Cam, let me hear your, your thoughts, your uh, final thoughts on this. It's, this just, it's just amazing to watch these people try to twist things. Um, and make them something that they aren't. Um, memes are a way to, uh, they do a lot of things. There are memes that are just funny. There are memes that are just a, uh, a new take on a subject. 
they're deep fried memes that are absurdist and people can uh, appreciate and laugh at even though they don't make any sense and that's part of it and then there there are white supremacist memes yeah there are bad memes out there but those aren't the ones that are winning the war it's the ones that were like when in the fed they were the ones that that did these different things and in rolling them all together rolling all of all together everything that's that's right of center is terrifying because it's not only is it I would say that it was stupid if it if it weren't a very a disinformation campaign in and of itself. What she's doing is a disinformation campaign. Oh yeah, that was clear when they started the conference off by talking about the examples of disinformation, and then pointing to the uh, election stuff, and then pointing yeah. to the people that believe that there's pedophile rings when we know that there's pedophile rings. I mean, right. Jeffrey Epstein, Matt Maxwell. Like, how do you even say that? At this point well, in time, without referencing that, I guess you just have to think that your audience is just brain dead. The people well, that, who and, you're influencing. And the the pedophile rings thing is an interesting subject matter because most people, most people won't believe that these pedophile rings exist simply because it's not something that they can square in their head. Most people cannot imagine hurting a child or sexually assaulting a child. And so this is not something that they're going to make up. No. So it's 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 not an it, it it may be an idea that comes out from someone who's trying to craft a propaganda campaign. Maybe but people who who've seen this, who know Jeffrey Epstein, who've seen his logbooks, who have seen pieces of his uh, client list, there is a child sex ring. Yeah, and history proves this. History shows all this. We have Think Change Repeat saying the Bush family. Richard Grove has discussed this. But I think that's I think that's in reference to what we're talking about right right now. Uh, Richard Grove does a lot of great stuff. Check out his channel. He's on Rockfin as well, and. Cornelius Wolfshirt says something here that made me laugh, and I read it right as you were talking about these pedophile rings, so I hope that it didn't appear <laughs> as though I was laughing at that because I was laughing at a comment where she said that she, talking about this woman that looks like Alex Jones on an overdose of estrogen, uh, um, uh, will be appointed health minister next, and that's, that's very funny to me. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue playing these clips because I can see that you're very bothered by them, Cam. And I really bothered. like it when, when clips uh, bother people. So we're going to continue playing these clips in the XR. There's a lot of interesting stuff that they talk about here. Watching this stuff, Oop. it well, there we are. It really, what it does is it, it just kind of shows you where they're trying to shape the policy uh, and influence the policy about this type of stuff and who the organizations uh, or which organizations are the ones that are involved in doing it. So that, I like to play it because of that and because it just shows the absurdity of their perspective when they're talking about this stuff. So we will continue to do that in the XR. Thank you, Cam, for joining me for the DMB. Thank you all for interacting in the live chat here on Rockfin. We will continue to interact with you all in the XR. And thank you, everybody who's watched on Twitter. And I didn't realize that I accidentally also put this on YouTube, so I expect that my YouTube channel will be banned uh, later today. Definitely demonetized, uh, absolutely. So... We will talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. And if you want to get that XR content, by the way, patreon.com slash propaganda report, rockfin.com slash report. Have a great rest of your day. 